Now listen, I hope that you will get as loud as you can with me as we open in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 tonight. Come on. And we continue our series, Real World 101. In this series, we have talked about a number of things so far. This is week three. And we opened up by asking a question of, are you sure you want to grow up? And some of us that night may have said, you know, I'm going to go backwards. I'm moving back in with my parents. I'm going to try to get back into high school. Some of us were kind of like, all right, I'll, I'll tackle this. You know, I'll, I'll try to be an adult and try to live with the Lord. And we talked about what it really means to be an adult, right? That at some point, all of us have to grow up. And it's a hard thing, but it is reality. And so we kind of painted the 30,000-foot view of the series the first night, if you will. If you haven't heard that, it's on, our, it's on the podcast app. We'd love for you to go and listen to it if you haven't heard the last two. Last week, we talked a lot about career, the workplace, full-time work. And uh, we've heard some really cool God stories from last week. But I'm really excited for tonight because this is a very specific topic. <laughs> and that was the goal of this series. The goal was to have one night at the beginning of the series that Bruce kind of paints this overarching uh, idea of what these next five are going to be about. But then the goal for these, each of these nights is to get as specific as we can. Because as we navigate life, we have specific issues come up. We have specific things that happen. So tonight, I hope that you've seen the title. The title is, I'll put it on the screen, How to Save a Friendship 101. <laughs> How to Save a Friendship 101. If you're taking notes, I hope you'll write this down because I do have a number of things I want you to walk away with this week. We've talked about career. We've talked about the workplace. We're going to shift gears a little bit tonight. We're going to talk about friendships. At the heart of tonight's message, it's a message on conflict resolution, it's a message on how to resolve issues that come up, not just in friendships. We have issues, we have conflict that comes up with our parents, siblings, neighbors, coworkers. We have issues that come up in many different areas in our life. But tonight, we're going to focus on kind of our friendships. We're going to talk about beef and drama and issues and things that come up. Because, man, it wouldn't it be an amazing world if we never had conflict, Right? Wouldn't it be an amazing world if we just had these friendships that were perfect all the time and we never disagreed and we never have any issues? But the reality is we are still in this world. Even as believers, we still live in the flesh. We are still battling temptation. I had a college student a number of years ago ask me, why do my friendships seem to have issues? And I told him that the problem is that we are sinful and selfish people. I am one of them. I am the problem, right? We, we are sinful, selfish people, and that comes out in our friendships. It certainly comes out in our family relationships. Our mom, our dad, our siblings, they see the ugliest side of us a lot of times. My mom's here tonight. She can tell you I've had issues over the years. But she still loves me. Stop laughing at that. <laughs> we have conflicts that arise. Sometimes you'll hear these couples that start dating and they've been together for two or three months and, you know, they'll be like, yeah, you know, we just don't ever argue. We just don't ever disagree. And I want to look at them and say, do you even actually know each other? <laughs> Have you had a conversation besides just what you're eating for dinner that night? Which sometimes that can lead to a disagreement. <laughs> yeah, there's Dakota. <laughs> it must be hard for Dakota to land on a place to go eat. But Roadhouse never fails. But this fantasy of... Being in a dating relationship, a marriage relationship, or a friendship where you never disagree is, is a fantasy. It's not reality. Even the most mature people can still have disagreements and conflict. It is bound to happen. Every marriage where two people actually know each other in a real way, there is conflict, there are disagreements. See, the key is not to avoid 
Conflicts and disagreements, the key is how you handle them. Every friendship where you truly know each other, there's going to be conflict and disagreements. Even the best of friends can disagree on what time they want to leave a social event. (laughs) Introverts want to leave at 7 p.m. and get home in time to be in bed by 8, and extroverts want to stay out till 11 or 12. There's disagreements and conflict that arises. And what's amazing is some of the worst fights come from the smallest, stupidest conflicts. Can I get an amen? Now, conflict is a biblical issue. Here's what's amazing. I want to start out the gate with the truth of the gospel in regards to conflict, okay? God had the most conflict anybody has had when he had conflict with humanity. See, uh, all humans, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? That means we were enemies of God. The Bible says that when you are not a believer in Christ, when you don't know him as your savior, when you're not following Jesus, You have conflict with God because your sin has not been paid for, right? And at the end of the day, if we have to stand before God without Jesus, we're in a bad place. So God had conflict with all of us. What's amazing is God is also perfect, and he was perfect in how he dealt with that conflict. Because since he had conflict with us, he did not do as we do to some people, withdraw from us. God did not all of a sudden just spite us and take us out immediately, But in his mercy and in his grace, God directly dealt with the conflict he had with us by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross, paying for your sin, paying for my sin, paying the debt and the penalty, and wiping away the conflict that we had with him. If, however, if we trust in him and believe in him and call out to him and repent in the name of Jesus. So God had conflict with all of humanity, and he chose to deal with it through his son Jesus, and that is the perfect sacrifice And that is why we put our faith in Jesus and there is no need for any other sacrifices today. Jesus is enough. So you can already start the gate understanding that God had conflict. We were enemies to God before being reconciled to him in Christ because of his grace and mercy, though he made a way. Now, the Bible is very clear. This sermon, you might not be happy when I'm at the end of it. I'll just be honest. I think I said that last week too, but this week for sure, you might not be happy with tonight. And that's okay. If it pushes you to Christ, praise the Lord. Because as I have studied your generation and as I have studied mine, we're slightly off in age gaps. (laughs) As I have studied your generation, I have studied mine. We hate conflict. We want to avoid it. We don't want it to happen. We don't want to deal with it. Statistically, we are really bad at handling conflict in today's world. And that's a big reason why, and I don't have time to get into this too much, but that we live in one of the loneliest generations because we're so afraid to put ourselves out there because we don't want to deal with conflict. See, that's one of the things about stating what you really believe about an issue is if you state what you really believe about an issue and somebody disagrees with you, you either got to subside and give in to their beliefs or you got to stick to your own. And that's a hard choice. That's a conflict. To go to a secular college campus, a university, and claim to be a believer in Jesus is quite literally a contradictory statement to a lot of people who don't agree with you And that brings conflict. It can bring conflict with professors. It can bring conflict with other people. So for your generation and for mine, we don't really do well with conflict, but it's a very real thing. Now, what I want to do tonight, I want to go to God's word. I want to see what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 about this very issue. And Jesus addresses it in a very direct way. This is not Daniel's opinion. This is not my advice to you. I want to tell you what Jesus says about conflict. And as I've said from the very beginning, If we don't walk away from each sermon with practical action steps, I think we've missed it. I want to give you practical action steps. 
Because as you and I walked in those doors tonight, there's probably in a lot of hearts in this room some outstanding conflict. In this room right now, there's probably some people who didn't come tonight because of the topic. And I'll be honest, in this room, some of us are a little bit tense and on edge about this topic because we know in our hearts there's some kind of conflict or some kind of unforgiveness or some kind of issue we have with somebody else that we haven't dealt with. And if this sermon pushes you a little bit more towards Jesus, then praise the Lord. So, as we have addressed that it's a hard topic, let's talk about it. So, look with me, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 21. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 21. This is, of course, a part of the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what Jesus says. He says, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So, Here's what Jesus says. If you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, here's what you are to do. In other words, if you are praying, worshiping with the Lord, and you're about to present your gift offering to him, you're about to cry out to him, you're about to offer whatever it is you're going to offer to him, your praise for the day, your request for the day, and you remember, and notice, he says that somebody has an issue with you. It's not just that Maybe you have an issue with somebody, but Jesus says if somebody has an issue with you, somebody has something against you, that means, all right, man, you weren't nice to somebody and they found out about it. That means that you were unkind to somebody and they got an issue towards you about it. That means you've got some some awkwardness, some beef, some conflict, some drama, there's some unforgiveness. That if that is the case on either side of the party, not just yours, but theirs, that's very important. I hear a lot of college students tell me when I'm talking to them about forgiveness, well, you know, I don't know what they're thinking, so I'm not going to go to them and assume. Well, you're also assuming by not going to them and clearing up that issue. You're assuming one, one either way. The best thing is to go to them. So if you're in that moment, if you're praying, Spotify is on, you have your worship playlist, you have your journal, you have your highlighters, you're about to dig into the word for two hours. But you remember somebody has something against you. Here's what he says, verse 24. He says, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. And all God's people said, man, that's a strong text. That's why that amen was so quiet. That's a strong text. Let's pray, and we're going to jump into it. Father, we love you. Lord, we are fragile, fragile people. Lord, we get angry. We have conflicts. We, are, we, are, we fall short. And Lord, none of this is a secret to you. Lord, I fall short every day. Lord, we struggle with impatience. We struggle with anger. Lord, we are fragile people. And Lord, tonight as we talk about a topic that is very hard to talk about, as we look within, we pray, Lord, that you would have every word to say tonight. We pray, Lord, that you would be faithful, that you would speak, that you would free people tonight who are in chains. Lord, that you would have your way in this place. God, we pray against any distractions, discouragement in the name of Jesus, Lord. We pray that you would have your way in this place. Lord, we love you and we need you. And I pray for anybody in here who doesn't have a personal relationship with you, that they would repent and give their lives to you on this incredible night. 
and trust you as their Savior. And if that's your prayer, would you say amen? Amen. Let's jump into it. Here's my first thing that I want you to write down. Number one, you cannot avoid conflict within friendships. You cannot avoid conflict within friendships. You can't avoid it. Here's what will happen if you try to avoid it. If you try to avoid conflict, if you try to avoid confrontation, if you try to avoid any kind of disagreement or having to tell the truth when you don't want to, you will never truly be known by anybody. And nobody will ever truly know you, and you will struggle to ever truly know anybody. And man, I know I'm preaching to myself and I'm preaching to you that if we try to avoid conflict and disagreements, different views, we're never going to truly be known and we're never going to truly know others. But there's a great temptation for each one of us to try to avoid conflict and just hope it doesn't happen. I can remember being in the ninth grade. I struggled with social anxiety to a very high degree. For me, ninth and 10th grade years were very difficult years in my life, very dark. Some of you can remember your high school days. Some of us, those days are great. Some of us, those days are very hard. For me, in the ninth and 10th grade, I hit a very dark place in my life. I struggled with a lot of depression, a lot of isolation. I had very few friends. The three friends that I did have, two were atheists and one was an agnostic. The atheist was the nicest person I had ever experienced in my life. Stephen, mom, you remember Stephen? He was the nicest person. He had been the nicest person to me. It was amazing. Didn't win me over to the Christian faith at all because the nicest person to me in high school was Stephen. And here's the amazing thing. Normally, you, we think that friendships will last because of common interests. Common interests don't, la- don't keep friendships together forever. If it's just based on basketball, if it's just based on TV shows, if it's just based on common interests, those friendships can fade really quickly because a lot of times, if they stay surface level, they won't last. Friendships that last go deep. For me and Stephen, who was an atheist, we didn't have anything in common at all. He was very technical. He was very smart. I was very slow. (laughs) He was very quick with it. He was very driven towards engineering, very methodical in his thinking, didn't care for sports at all, didn't care for the Grizzlies at all. We had nothing in common. We didn't play any of the same video games. He was into way different kind of video games than I was. Yet he was my best friend through high school because our relationship was one where we truly talked about how we were doing. And to me, I've never forgotten that, that the nicest person to me was somebody that didn't even know Jesus. Because that's a great reminder how much more kinder and loving should people who know Jesus be in this world. Can I get an amen? Sadly, there's a lot of Christians that are not very kind and not very compassionate. And for us, we had no common interests at all. Yet I still keep up with them to this day. So for you, I want to challenge you. There have been many people in my life who we have every single interest in common. Basketball, sports, TV shows, everything in common. And those friendships, some of them, I don't even know them anymore. Because if they didn't go past the surface, they didn't last, no matter how many common interests we had. The friendships that will last a lifetime for you are the friendships where they truly know you on a deeper level than who your favorite sports team is, where your favorite place to go eat is, what's your favorite coffee shop. The people who are going to stick around in your life are the people who really care about your best interests in Christ and in the Lord and who are going to push you towards him because they know you past the surface. They know you deeper. The problem is your generation and mine struggles to get to those deep relationships because we keep everything surface level. 
What's the motivation to keeping it surface level? Well, there's a number of them. That's a great question. (laughs) One of them is vulnerability. It's really easy to not be known if you never open up about what's actually going on in your heart or your mind. One of the great fears of what keeps us from deep, long-lasting friendships is the fear of vulnerability. If I open up and tell somebody something, what are they going to do with it? Who are they going to tell? How will they use it against me? But another thing that keeps us from deep friendships, absolutely 100%, is the fear of conflict. See, the conflict that me and Stephen did have, the conflict that we disagreed on, was when I got saved. See, when I got saved, I loved Stephen. And I realized that Stephen, as great and awesome as I thought he was, was not on his way to heaven because he didn't know Jesus. It wasn't because he didn't go to church. It wasn't because he didn't wear a suit. It wasn't any of those things. It was because he didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. And no matter how nice he had been to me, that's not enough to get you into heaven. You have to know Jesus as your savior. So even with this great friend that I had in Stephen, when I got saved, we began to have a conflict. And fortunately for me and him, I've had a lot of bad conflicts in my life. I've lost a lot of friends because of conflict. For me and him, we knew each other deep enough that we kept the friendship, even though we disagree on the most important issue in life, which is where we go when we die. If Stephen was here tonight and you asked him what what he believes about the afterlife, I can tell you word for word what he has said because I've heard him say it for 10 years. He would say, when you die, lights out. You go back to nothingness and it's just darkness and you're asleep. And I have said in countless (laughs) chilies and TGI Fridays and Rafferty's with Stephen and had a whole lot of conflict about Man, I'm telling you, Jesus is real, but he doesn't see it. And as hard and as sweaty as my hands were trying to have those conversations, I knew that was a conflict I couldn't back down on. But because we had this friendship that went past the surface level, we're still able to be friends. And I realized there's some people I don't have that in my life with because I haven't opened myself up for them to know me in that way. So I ask you in your friendships, do people know the real you or do they know the you that you put on display? Do people know the private you? Do people know the you behind closed doors? Do people know, does anybody, not saying everybody, but does anybody in your life truly know what you are struggling with and what you are going through? Does anybody know the fears and the worries and the anxieties that you have? Or is it a lot of surface level? Statistically, our our generation, yours and mine, are so connected socially. We have a multitude of different social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and the list goes on and on and on and on. We are so very connected. More of my generation is on Facebook than your generation. And yet we're so connected and yet so disconnected in person (laughs) because we have thousands of people who follow us, but we have very few who actually know us. So I truly do believe in my heart that for you and I, if we have this fear of conflict and we have this fear of disagreement, it's going to keep us from ever opening up because the day we open up is the day we have to make a stand. The first time I ever had to tell Stephen about Jesus, my throat was dry couldn't hardly breathe, heart pounding a million miles an hour because I knew this was a conflict. But to me, it's my faith. As much as I love Stephen, I want Stephen to go to heaven. That means I'm not doing Stephen any good by not telling him what I believe about Jesus Christ. What I learned that was very hard for 23-year-old Daniel to learn, okay, I can talk about it now six years later a little bit better than I could then. What What was really hard for me to learn that I still wrestle with today when I'm talking to people who don't share my faith is that this conflict I'm having with Stephen is not a bad thing when I look at it as an opportunity. 
See, a wise man once said, a better preacher than I am, said that conflict is an opportunity for you to show the love of Jesus to somebody. Since conflict is inevitable, it's going to happen, how you handle it is a great opportunity to love your neighbor. So hear me. I'm speaking to a, a generation, yours and mine, that hates conflict, and the number one thing we try to do is avoid it or run from it. What if you and I looked at the conflict that we actually do have in our lives as an opportunity to love somebody with the love of Jesus? I know everybody in this room has people who don't know Jesus in their life. That conflict that you're so afraid of, telling them about your faith in Jesus, that, that fear, that worry you're so afraid of, of taking a stand about your faith, even though that's a conflict, you realize that's the best thing that could happen for them is for somebody in their life to stand in the gap and tell them about Jesus the way you could, even though it's uncomfortable. That's an opportunity. You know, for some of you, you have a conflict and you really do not want to forgive because to you, forgiveness feels like letting them off the hook. But that opportunity to forgive is one of the greatest ways to show somebody the gospel. I've messed this up a lot in my life. I still mess this up. I still mess conflict up. I'm impatient. I get angry. I still mess things up in my life. And I'm still learning and growing. But one of the most important things I have learned, venturing through my 20s, I'm about to start my 30s, one of the most crucial things that I have learned about this season in my life, how I handle conflict doesn't just affect me, it affects all the friendships I'm hoping to have for the years to come. And if I can impart anything to you, how you handle that conflict in your life, how you open up, how you are vulnerable, how you go past the surface with people is going to be some of the most important decisions that you make. We often get so caught up on the big ginormous things. Where am I gonna work? What am I supposed to do for a living? We get so caught up on where I'm supposed to live. We get so caught up on all these things, yet at the end of the day, at our funeral, it really does not matter what house you had, what car you had, how much money you had. What matters is not how many people followed you on Instagram because a lot of them will not be at your funeral. In fact, the vast majority of the people who follow you on Instagram will probably not be at your funeral. Here's who will be at your funeral. The people who are closest to you, who you impacted, and your family. And there'll be some stragglers in there too. The people you impact at the end of your life is going to be the greatest part of your life. And if you impacted them for Christ, if I impacted them for Christ, boy, we have a great, great mission field. So let me encourage you. Before I talk about how to lose or save a friendship, understand you can't avoid conflict. It's inevitable anyways. What if you look at it as an opportunity to love someone with the love of Jesus? Because that's exactly what it is. I do pray right now somebody that the Lord would bring somebody to your mind or your heart. Maybe you've got a super stable social life and there's not a conflict in sight. Praise the Lord. But right now, before we get practical, can you think of anybody in your life? Let's start here, okay? Can you think of anybody in your life who doesn't know Jesus, who you might have a little bit of a disagreement with, but it's worth telling them about Jesus? Can you think of anybody in your life who your faith is important enough to you to tell? That if your faith in Christ is really who you are, it's important enough to tell them, even if they don't agree. The last thing I'll say about Stephen, I don't have him in the rest of my sermon. The third time I talked to him about Jesus, this was probably, probably seven years ago was the third time that I talked to him. At the very end of the conversation, I was very discouraged because we disagreed on a lot of things about life. 
And as we got up and walked away from the table, I felt probably how a lot of you feel. Man, I'm not doing a good job. I'm not winning, winning him over to Jesus. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm creating an enemy. I was like, oh, this isn't going to work. He's going to be mad at me. And we stood up from the table, and he gave me the biggest hug that he had given me. And this is what he said to me. I've never forgotten it. We were in, gosh, this was at Perkins, which is a wild place to go to talk about Jesus. And we stood up, and he gives me one of the biggest hugs he gave me. And this is what he told me. He said, Daniel, I know this is real to you. And he said, even though it isn't real to me, I respect you because you're willing to tell me what is truly happening in your life. And he said something, too, that made me still to this day. It, it irks my heart because it's so close of a statement. And if you've ever tried to win somebody over to Jesus, I know you know that feeling where you feel like you're so close to winning them over, but it just hasn't happened. He said this, and I've never gotten it. He said, if I was going to give my life to Jesus, it'd be because of what he's doing in your life. And I was like, well, just do it. <laughs> and he hasn't yet. And you can ask Hannah, there's a lot of days where I feel like, what if I was closer to Stephen if I didn't talk about my faith as much? But she'll tell you the most important thing is that in this conflict, he sees Jesus as I'm telling him about Jesus. What opportunities do you have? Let's move on. Let's get practical. Here's number two. How to lose a friendship. How to lose a friendship one-on-one. Now, tonight, I want to give you practical steps on how to lose a friendship. <laughs> So this is four steps. You don't have to do all four of them. You can pick one. But this is very clearly how to lose a friendship. This is very clearly how to be right in the wrong way. <laughs> this is very clearly how to be right about an issue and lose a person, okay? What this really is, is four things, four tendencies that we tend to do when conflict arises. So these are not necessarily step-by-step. Step. Don't take these subpoints as step-by-step. What these are, though, is normally for Daniel, right? Let's take Daniel, coach, extroverted personality a lot of times in this season of life. A lot of the tendencies I have when conflict arises, right? When me and Dakota disagree and he's telling me I should go in the gym and I should lift some weights and I'm not hearing it because that's not who I am. I'm not starting that now. I didn't start it in college. I'm not starting it now. When we have that conflict, this is where I resort back to my initial tendencies. And a lot of us fit into one of these four. Whenever you get upset, whenever you're in your feelings, whenever you feel like somebody's wronged you, whenever something ain't going your way, I've been there, I've had those feelings. Nine times out of ten, we go back to one of these four things. So as I say this, you don't have to tell your neighbor, like, that's me. <laughs> Is that you? You ain't got to do that. But you should think to yourself, have I ever done that? <laughs> or, great question, am I doing that now with somebody? That's how you don't miss what God has for you tonight. So here's the first one. Here's how to lose a friendship. One of the great tendencies we have when conflict arises is withdrawal. Withdrawal. When issues arise, this is one of the first things that we tend to do. This is a great tendency. It's a great tendency for our generation now because of COVID. COVID had a big impact on this because when COVID happened, I don't know what your testimony with COVID is like. I was, my first year pastoring was my COVID year. So that was really fun. When COVID hit, a lot of people withdrew. Now we're changing the world a bit. <laughs> they withdrew. And they isolated, right? Isolation's a big deal. Statistically speaking, this is one of the most isolated generations. We spend a lot of time alone, not around people, even though we're connected digitally, right? So a lot of people withdrew during COVID. And whenever issues arise in friendships, whenever conflict happens, whenever somebody hurts your feelings, whenever somebody hurts my feelings, whenever something happens, this is a big tendency, if not one of the biggest. We withdraw. We pull back from that friendship. We isolate ourselves, right? 
And that's the number one killer of friendships is isolation. It's also the number one thing that leads you to temptation is isolation. So think about this. If you withdraw from a friendship, you're probably withdrawing from others. If you're withdrawing and isolating yourself, not only are you pulling back from the person who you, who you can mend and fix the relationship with, you're also opening yourself up to temptation because you're withdrawing from the problem. And then this weighs on you. It doesn't go away. It hangs over your head and it hangs over the other person's head. So we, we tend to pull back. We withdraw. We create distance. We create space. We don't want to be around that person. And man, I want to tell you, if God had done that with us, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Seriously, I don't want to gospel juke you here, but if God had done us that way, when we were great enemies to him because of our sin, we'd be in a lot of trouble. What if God, in his, in his character, saw us dead in our sin with no hope and withdrew himself? See, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you don't know what I'm talking about quite yet, but you can. I didn't give my life to the Lord until I was 21 years old. It's never too late. But for believers... Even when you get saved, there are many dark moments that happen across your life. That's a testimony. That's what happens. What if in your darkest moments, what if when you were struggling, you think about a time that was really, really dark for you. Maybe that was COVID. Maybe it's when a family member passed away. Maybe it's when you had something happen in your life that was really discouraging and it made you feel unworthy and unvaluable. What if in that hard moment, God withdrew from you? Yet, the Bible says when we draw near to God, God draws near to us, that God doesn't ever really get far from us. We are the ones who get far from him. It's not that God turns from us, it's that we turn from him. But there are so many multitude of testimonies in this room tonight of people who were in very, very, very dark, isolated, lonely places, and God didn't ask you to climb a ladder. He met you right where you were. Can I get an amen? So if he did that for you, why can you and I not do that for other people? If God had conflict with us over our sin and he didn't withdraw from us, why do you and I feel so, and I'm speaking about both of us, why do we feel so self-righteous that we can withdraw from somebody else in our life that we love all because of a conflict or an issue that's not even that bad anyway? Why? Pride. It caused the fall. Well, if they're going to say that about me, I'm not going to be around them. If they're going to act that way, I'm not going to be there for it. I don't want nothing to do with them. We withdraw. We just pull away. And that is the last way you can show the love of Jesus to somebody in your life. There are dozens, 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 hundreds, thousands of testimonies of people who get to 60, 70, 80 years old in their life. And they look back and you ask them what their regrets are. And they're like, man, I wish I would have fixed that issue with so-and-so 40 years ago. I remember watching Shaquille O'Neal's interview on YouTube. A week after Kobe Bryant passed away, Kobe and Shaq had a whole lot of issues in their life. They broke up on the team. They split. He went to Miami because they couldn't play together. The duo broke up, and they had a whole lot of issues and beef, and that continued over a number of years. They patched it up. They fixed it up. And a week after Kobe Bryant passed away in the helicopter crash, Shaq was crying on TV, and he said, man, Kobe was always a text away, but I would never send it. And he said, I can't send it now. I'm sending a text to somebody that's not there. And this is somebody, Shaq has the world. Everybody thinks Shaq is hilarious. This dude's got multiple degrees. He's rich and famous. He's got all the things the world says you should have. And he's sitting there crying on TV and he still says it. You can watch him in interviews in 2023. He still says it. He says, one of my greatest regrets is that I wouldn't just pick up the phone and call Kobe Bryant before he passed away. 
And it all went back to just petty stuff in their relationship. Guys, there's a whole lot of us in this room who have petty stuff going on in our relationship. And if we don't do what Christ has called us to do, we're going to have a whole lot of regrets when we're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. For some of you, it might be a mom or dad that you withdrew from. You grew up, got a little freedom, like we talked about week one, started working a little bit, started doing school a little bit, and said, man, I don't want anything to do with my mom or dad. If you know Jesus, I want to ask you, how, how great of a wrong did they throw at you that you're willing to completely give up on that relationship? Was it greater? I'm not, I'm not being snarky. But was it greater than the wrong that we have with God because of our sin and he has forgiven us? I'm not telling you it's easy. I'm not telling you forgiving a parent or a sibling or a friend is easy. I am telling you it's what Christ calls us to do and I am telling you that he will strengthen you to it. Withdrawal. Not only that, B, anger and escalation. So, some of us withdraw. And some of us get really, really, really angry. <laughs> sometimes this can be, sometimes we can do both. Sometimes we can withdraw for a month and then get really, really angry. Sometimes we can get really, really angry and then withdraw for a month. They can go hand in hand. But for some of us, when somebody wrongs us, we let our anger fly crazy. And some of us, we take pride in it. Some of us, we're just like, you know, I'm just a very forward person. I'm just a very direct person. Like I've just, I let people know when I have a problem with them. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. Jesus says, uh, murder, do not murder. But if you have hate in your heart, that is murder. And that's strong. And it's biblical. That if you don't have a control over your anger, the Holy Spirit does not have your obedience. If your anger is running free, you have a very long leash with God. That means he, you can do whatever you want, and he's, he's trying to get you to obey, and you're just doing whatever. Listen, anger is not a joke. And when we have conflict arise, a lot of times our number one response is to just get angry at somebody, and we don't take time to talk and to flesh out what is actually going on in our heart and in our minds. And that will steer you down a very, very dark path. Things get angry. Things escalate. And then a lot of times when that happens, we follow it up with withdrawing. Is that you? Is there some anger you need to lay down? Is there somebody you're holding a grudge against? Not only that, I'm going to move a little bit quicker. C, negative interpretation. Negative interpretation. Let me tell you what I mean by this. A lot of times when something happens we don't agree with, we interpret something that someone says in a way that they didn't mean it. It would be similar to somebody saying, you look nice today. And you're responding with, do I not look nice every day? <laughs> right? That's a negative interpretation. That sometimes things are said to us and we just quite literally interpret it the wrong way. We quite literally don't take the time to actually understand what is being said to us. Or from the gate, we already have something we're holding against that person and there's nothing they can really say to win us over. God bless you. And so when conflict arises, all of a sudden, everything somebody says is a shot at us. But then the last one, I think this is very important, D, is invalidation. Invalidation. So let's recap and let's talk about the fourth one. 
A lot of times when conflict arises, we withdraw completely, isolate. We don't want anything to do with that person. Or our anger takes over, the situation escalates, and we have a back and forth that's extremely unnecessary. Or we take something that somebody is saying, and because of a preconceived grudge against them, whatever they say, we're going to interpret negatively. Or there's invalidation. Now, here's what I mean by this. A lot of us get defensive in conflict. A lot of times when somebody disagrees with us, we immediately invalidate it. Anytime anybody says something about us or brings something to our attention, we invalidate it immediately. Because we're not going to listen to it. We don't believe it, so we invalidate how that person feels. Even though those feelings are very right to that person and very real to that person, we completely invalidate it. And what happens is we don't even listen to what's being brought to us. There's a lot of times where somebody who says comments very quickly without thinking as much. Somebody in their life can come to them and say, hey, you need to tame your tongue a little bit. You say things without thinking. You say things that hurt people. You make jokes that are offensive sometimes. And sometimes we'll get so defensive, we'll invalidate that completely and say, hey, mm -mm, I'm not going to hear that. You must be too sensitive. I'm not going to listen to that. And we don't hear it at all. But at the end of the day, if we love the people who are in our life, invalidating what they say to us, invalidating how they feel does not help us at all to resolve the conflict that we have. And what it also does is it places you and me on this pedestal where we're not willing to hear from anybody else in our life. Man, think about this. Maybe you've got a perfect walk and you've got it all figured out and you never respond negatively in conflict. Praise God, you're better than I am. But somewhere on this board, there's probably a relationship or multiple where you're struggling with this very thing. And some of you, I'm gonna go so far to say, some of you are invalidating what the Lord is saying to you tonight. Woo! And that's hard. <laughs> some of you right now in your heart are doing this with the words I am giving you. Some of you are hearing this sermon you're hearing me say this, in your heart you're wondering, is this for you? Is this from the Lord? And you're completely invalidating and you're saying, hey, this isn't for me, this is for somebody else. I hope so-and-so over there hears this. And you're completely invalidating any point I'm making and saying that it can't apply to you. Whoo, that's a dangerous place to be. I've been there. I've listened to Brother Steve's sermon and he's preached on things where I've sat there, Ethan, and I've said, that's not for me. But deep down I know it is. There's things I've invalidated from godly speakers who are preaching truth that I just don't like and I don't want to hear. And I'm thinking there's no way that's for me. And I'm invalidating what the Bible says. That if I were to tell you tonight, the Bible says, you don't have to kill someone to commit a great crime against them. Jesus says, if you hate them in your heart, you've committed murder. Some of you don't want to hear that. And you're saying, hey, I like who I like. I don't like who I don't like. And I'm going to keep it that way. And I want to tell you, that's a very dangerous place to be with God's word. You hear the hush over the room? That's what I have prayed for the last many, many hours. Would be the Holy Spirit speaking to you and me. That right now as you sit there, the Holy Spirit would speak to you in a way I can't. Would speak to you in a way your mom and dad can't. Would speak to you so personally and so uniquely that you cannot refuse the voice of God in your life telling you to forgive somebody, restore a friendship, ask for forgiveness, renew something in your life. If he's telling you that, why would you disobey? 
Don't invalidate the Holy Spirit on your, on your heart. If he is telling you what is right, what is true, and what is biblical, if he is telling you to right a wrong with someone, if tonight God is telling you, lay your gift down, leave the altar, and go make it right with somebody who has something against you, don't invalidate that. Obeying will always be better. So, this is how you lose a friend. I've lost them. I'm sure you've lost them. Brother Steve's lost them. Every single one of us have lost them. Every single one of us have lost this battle. And the reason is not because we want to. The reason is because we have flesh and we struggle with selfishness and we struggle with sin. But it doesn't have to be this way. Now, I want to turn our attention to the good news of how to do it right. Look with me. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5 again. Verse 23 and 24. Let's read it again. Here's what Jesus says. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Let's talk about the good news. Number three, how to save a friendship 101. How to save a friendship 101. There's some things on here I didn't put for subpoints because I'm getting very specific, but I don't want to just assume you and I agree. What's not a subpoint, but that very well could be, is prayer. Remember this. There is no power apart from the Holy Spirit that when we pray over our friendships, that is the healing power that allows us to save the friendships we have and not lose them. That ultimately your prayer for your friends, your prayer for your family is the greatest power you have. There's no step-by-step process apart from prayer and the word that's going to get us anywhere. So with these subpoints, I'm assuming here, and I'm stating it, so I'm not really assuming, that you and I are in agreement that prayer and the word are vital to every friendship. Our, our friendship must be built on that foundation, and we must be in prayer for one another. And if you're doing that, if you and I have friendships that are godly and they're built on God's word, and if you and I are praying for the people in our lives, now let's get more specific about when conflicts arise. All right? Here's the first thing. If you have a conflict, if you have something happen, here's the very first step you should do biblically. A, consider if the issue can be overlooked. Not an amen in the group, but man, there should be. We should have stood up and applauded for this because we never take the time to do this. Biblically, one of the best steps I can give you, again, if you're praying and you're in God's word and you're seeking to be obedient to Christ, is to consider if the issue can be overlooked. Proverbs 19 verse 11 says this, a person's insight gives him patience and his virtue is to overlook an offense. Let's keep this up there for a minute. You can write this down word for word in terms of conflict. This is a very incredible verse for conflict resolution <laughs> because it is wise it is wisdom to have patience and to overlook an offense. Why do I believe this is so big? Why is this step number one? Because we have a lot of pettiness in our culture, man. We got a lot of pettiness. We got a lot, and, and, and it's good, but I'm sensitive a lot of days. Like, I'll just be honest. I'm sensitive, and I'm not the only one that's sensitive. Each one of us have a level of sensitivity to us where sometimes Things hurt us that really shouldn't hurt us. 
There's some issues we have, there's some conflicts we have that we could overlook if we're honest. There's some things that happen that we really could look past and say, you know, that's really not that big of a deal, but because we sometimes, I'm speaking about me here, get in our feelings, we kind of make it a big deal. Am I the only one in the room? Would anybody else say they've done that before, right? Okay, a few of us, one or two of us, two or three, okay, for sure. Can the issue be overlooked? How big is the great conflict you have with somebody? Because scripture tells us that if you can overlook an offense, that if it is not defining to your friendship and it has not cut down your character and it has not been sin against you, that it is wisdom to look over that offense. And I'll be honest, there are many offenses that you cannot do this with. You can't. You can't. There are many issues that are too big. You need to address them. However, there are some things with us because we're sensitive and because we do tend to live in a culture that doesn't ever want to step on anybody's toes that we get offended and we don't overlook that issue. So I want to tell you, for some of you, you don't need to bring up that issue to that person. Like, praise God. Some of you can take a sigh of relief. Like, if that issue can be overlooked, it's a pretty good advice to overlook it. Because if it can be, it's probably not that big of a thing to you. It's probably more about your feelings and your heart. And I'm telling you, our heart, Scripture tells us, we looked at this last week, says our heart is deceitful above all else. Who can cure it? So there's a lot of times you don't have to go to that person. If Sam Moore steps on my toe and it scuffs my shoe up a little bit, I don't need to go have a come to Jesus and sit down with him and Brother Steve and say, Pastor, here's what happened. I don't need to do that. Sam, I need to say, Brother, we're good, man. You scuffed my Jordans and, you know, that's kind of an offense. But... I'll look past it and not even say anything to him. So do this first. Can you overlook the offense? If you can save some time, some headache, and some margin, then praise God, do it. Do it. Lay your feelings down a little bit. I got to lay mine down. Especially with siblings. My sister, we went out to dinner for my mom's birthday, and my sister started making this joke. She was messing with me. She's not taller than me, <laughs> but when she wears high heels, sometimes she is taller than me, and I'm fine with that. Like, I'm okay with that when she's wearing big shoes. Like, it's not a big issue to me. My mom knows I'll get over it, but when she starts making jokes about it, I'm like, all right, you're going to buck up. We're going to have an issue, you know, and there's sometimes I got to let it go. Sometimes I got to overlook it. So there's sometimes I got to sit down with my, my mom and be like, look, she hurt my feelings. We got a problem. Sometimes I need to overlook it. And I think for some of you, you could sleep better tonight if you let go of some of those things. Now, let's say that you can't. Here's B. Go directly to the person. Not everybody else. Can I get an amen? amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> go to the person. <laughs> if you have conflict, if you have an issue, if you have a problem, biblically, go tell that person. Don't come to me first. <laughs> Don't go to Hannah. Don't go to your parents. Don't go to your friends. Don't go to your roommates. I understand you might be asking some godly advice on how to handle it, but understand, biblically, if you have a conflict with that person, go directly to that person, not everybody else. Here's what we do. We do the opposite. We go to everybody else. I have watched it happen with people your age and your season of life. I have watched people stand together in a social setting and somebody say something they don't like and something that they don't really agree with and it hurts their feelings and they just leave that person and they go right over here to this other group of people and they're just like, oh my gosh, you're not going to believe this, what she said to me. Oh, goodness gracious. I don't know what I'm going to do about this. She was just awful. And then she comes over and like, hey, 
We're good. We're good. She walks away. I hate her. <laughs> we go to everybody else about the issue. We go to everybody else in the world. If I got a problem with Dakota, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to tell Dakota. <laughs> and that's it. And that's it. Now, there are steps. If that doesn't work, we're going to get to those. I'm not leaving parts of the Bible out. But listen, if you have a problem, I understand you may need to seek godly advice. I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. Go to that person. Hear me. If you have a problem with somebody and you don't go to them about it and it's too big, you can't overlook. If you go to other people but you don't go to them, that is a sin. The Bible says that that is going against the commands of Jesus and what we're supposed to do when conflict and drama arises. That you are supposed to go directly to that person, not 10 other people. Don't go tell everybody else the issue you have with somebody. You know why? Because they're going to hear it from somebody else and you look just as trifling. And it's unbiblical. But that's what we want to do. Some of us, we want to tiptoe around the issue. We don't want to tell the other person. We don't want to make somebody mad. And the number one thing is because we want to avoid any kind of conflict. We just want to be mad about it on our own. Biblically, go directly to the person. Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus says this. If your brother or sister sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. We can keep that on the screen. Go directly to the person. If you're not willing to do that, you and I are just as much of the problem in the conflict. In fact, if you're not willing to go to that person, you have no business telling anybody else. None. You have no business. That's gossip. You have no business telling anybody else. If you're not willing to go to that person. Now, this is a hard thing to do. I've had to do this in my life a couple of times when people have hurt me. And it has been one of the hardest things that I've had to do is go to somebody and tell them I was hurt. Or, here's even harder, go to somebody that I hurt and apologize. But scripturally, that's what we're called to do. So it would be so bold to give you the application that if you have an issue tonight or if somebody has an issue with you tonight, that when the worship begins, you should go call, text, or talk to that person and work it out tonight. You say, Daniel, it's late. It's 9 o'clock. Okay, I understand that. Do, are we promised tomorrow? Nowhere in my Bible does it give me a promise that I'm going to wake up tomorrow. Nowhere in my Bible does it give me a promise that you're going to wake up tomorrow. There's not. It's, this is the day the Lord has made rejoice. Every day is a blessing. Jesus can come back anytime, and you and I can go home anytime. Go directly to the person. Now, here's a great application. And this is what I feel like we miss in this sermon, okay? If you are the person that somebody comes to to tell you all their drama and you don't tell them to go to that person, you're wrong. If you're just the drama receiver, you're wrong. If you're just, yeah, amen, hallelujah. If you're just the one who takes it all in and you don't do anything right about it or biblical about it, you're wrong. That if somebody is coming to you and telling you an issue they have with somebody else, you say, blah, blah, stop, stop, stop right there, stop right there. Have you told that person? You haven't? Okay. Well, here's the best advice I can give you biblically. Go talk to that person. That's how you stay in right standing with God. You and I want to get out from good standing with God? Take in all the drama, take in all the gossip, take in all the beef, and keep spreading it and talking about it more. And that's how you and I get in really bad standing with God. 
really quick. And it's how you and I get in really bad standing with other people quick. So hear me, there's layers to this application. If you are the one that somebody is coming to and telling you all about their drama, your call from God is to tell them, go tell that person, and you're not supposed to talk about it with anybody else. You say, Daniel, I've struggled with that. What do I do? Repent. Give it to Jesus. I've had to do it. I've had to do it. I've had to go to the Lord. I've had to pray this prayer, and it's awful. Lord, I repent. I have taken information that does not belong to me, and I have passed it to other people. Lord, I have not pushed people to do what is biblical. I have not told people to go handle it in a biblical way. I've just taken it in because I love hearing it. And that's a prayer you need to repent and give to the Lord tonight. Biblically, your advice is to tell that person, go talk to the person that wronged them. Now, when you do that, and here's a, every step does get a little bit harder, I'm not going to lie. But it's biblical. Let's say you and I are doing pretty good for the Lord that day. We've got an issue with somebody. They've got an issue with us, and we end up going to them. We send them that text. We schedule the meeting. We're sitting down with them. Here's one of the biggest things you need to do biblically. When you have that sit down, see, acknowledge your own mistakes. I told you last week. I'm a pastor, and my job varies every week. I do a multitude of different things from my job. Preaching is an hour a week, the preaching of it. The study is a number of hours a week, and there's a lot of things I do in my job description, sometimes random things. I never know where I'm going to end up. Sometimes I'm in Hobby, Hobby Lobby for my job, and praise God for that. But a lot of my job is counseling. It really is. I feel like I should get a counseling degree because it would probably help me. I've taken some counseling classes. A lot of my... A lot of my job description is counseling. And I want to tell you, very rarely, if ever, I'll say very rarely because it has happened. Very rarely do I sit down with somebody who has a conflict. Don't miss this. This is huge. Very rarely have I counseled somebody through a conflict and it be 100% the other person's fault. Very rarely. Sometimes, yes, stuff from your childhood Sometimes there's stuff that you didn't do a single thing wrong. I get that. I'm not going to gloss over that. However, in terms of friendships and everyday life stuff, very rarely have I seen a problem that is 100% one-sided. Maybe it's 99, but a lot of times there's 70-30. A lot of times there's 60-40. There's wrong on both sides. So if you go talk to somebody tonight, the first thing you need to do when you sit down with them is acknowledge your own mistakes. That, hey, you're not a perfect communicator. You're not a perfect person. You make mistakes. I make mistakes. I haven't handled this perfectly. And the reason why is because this is biblical. Luke 6, verse 42, it's a hard verse. Buckle up. He says, how can you say to your brother, let me take out the splinter that is in your eye when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye? Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. That there is great, great hope in conflict resolution, when you sit down with somebody and begin with, hey, let me apologize for what I've done wrong. Because <laughs> you know what that does? That shows vulnerability on your part, and it gives you a chance to have an actual heart-to-heart -heart conversation with somebody who also is not perfect, and you have a real chance of restoring and resolving the friendship and the relationship. And in 60 years, you'll probably laugh about it. Probably 20 minutes, if we're honest. But if you go into it with, let me tell you everything you've done wrong and I'm perfect, you're going to have a hard time resolving conflicts in your 20s. Because... Not only are you and I tend to be immature in this season, others around us are also immature. And if we go into it just trying to take the beam out of other people's eye and not looking first at our own, 
We're going to miss it in a lot of friendships. So start with that. Now, here's a big thing. I have not seen this happen very often. I'll be honest with you. Let me go ahead and give you some point. D is, if they have sinned against you and won't acknowledge it, bring others in. I want to tell you, you can write this down. I know it's a long sub point. I have rarely seen it get to this point. Because the Bible gives you step by step. I mean, this is if they have sinned against you, right? If they have wronged you in a major way, slandered your name, attacked your character. We're not talking about petty stuff. We're talking about sin. God bless you. We're talking about if somebody has sinned against you and you sit down with them one-on-one like the Bible says in private and tell them and they won't acknowledge it, that you're supposed to bring others in. Let me tell you, I have rarely seen this happen. And part of the reasons I've rarely seen this happen is because most times we don't make it to be and we don't make it to see. So most times the conflict doesn't even get to this point. But I'll be honest, nine out of 10 times that I have watched friendships work conflict out, even nine out of the 10 times that I have worked a conflict out with another person, I have never had to bring others in when I did it biblically because when I did it biblically, we were always able to work it out one-on-one. When I go into it with a humble posture, they wanna have a humble posture. And nine times out of 10 of the conflict resolutions I have seen, if you are willing to sit down prayerfully with somebody and honestly, genuinely tell them that you've been hurt, most times they're going to see where you are on that. And they're going to apologize. And you're going to have it fixed. But let's say they don't. We've got to preach the whole Bible. If they don't, if they have sinned against you and won't acknowledge it, the Bible says for you to bring others into it. And this is for a serious offense. Matthew 18 goes on to say, this is a couple of verses following. Verse 16 says, but if he won't listen, take one or two others with you. So by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Now, let me unpack this for a moment. Let's say somebody has sinned against you in a major way, and they will not acknowledge it. They will not talk about it. They will not meet you where you are on that from a biblical standpoint that you're supposed to bring two or three others in. And we're talking about church members, people within the body of Christ, that if you were to sit down and they were not to agree with you, even on two or three, that you're supposed to get church leaders involved. You know why this is hard for our generation? Because a lot of us in the church don't have a relationship with church leaders. Statistically, we only come to church 1.7 times a month. It's really hard for church members who aren't super active to go to church leaders and say, hey, we need help. We have a conflict that we can't resolve on our own. That's why it's hard to get to this step. But understand, me and my wife Hannah are here and we'll be back at the table. If you are here in this place where you have approached somebody one-on-one, you have acknowledged your own mistakes and you have, they have sinned against you and you are needing restoration with them and you're not getting it, we would love to help you with that. You gotta let us know. The first step is two or three people in your life who know them and then if that doesn't work, it's church leaders who are over them and over us. Now, this is how you save a friendship. Can we go back to the subpoints? I want you to carefully consider for a moment the relationships you have in your life, the conflicts you have in your life, and ask, are you in need of doing one of these? With anybody in your life. Bible says, Romans 12, verse 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, 
live at peace with everyone. God's children, those who are followers of Jesus, are not called to be drama starters or drama keepers. We're not called to be conflict keepers. We're called to be peacemakers. That if you are a child and an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven, your role is to be a peacemaker. And what a great role that is. Matthew 5 verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. I want to tell you, college students, that you, as we said at the beginning of the night, you and I had the greatest outstanding conflict with somebody we could ever have. We were sinful people having to face a holy God. You sit on that and think about that for a minute. That God is holy and we had sin with him. And in that, he chose to be a peacemaker through his son Jesus, allowing you and me to be reconciled to Christ when we had no other chance. It is no religion, no church, no church leader, and no friend that saves you. It is Jesus that saves you. I want to tell you, on a night of conflict resolution, for some of you here, the greatest conflict that you need to settle is the conflict that you have over your sin. For some of you, the great conflict you have, the great battle, is not with flesh and blood. It is not with other people. The great conflict you have is with the Lord. And here's what the Bible says, that if you repent, meaning you turn from your sin, meaning you tell God, I have a problem with you, Lord, and it's my sin. My sin is the problem. I have an outstanding debt. I have an outstanding payment I can't pay. I have a debt. You repent. You say, I'm turning from that lifestyle. I'm no longer living this way. I want to settle this conflict. I want to settle this issue. I want to be a peacemaker, and I need the ultimate peacemaker to give me peace over my mistakes and my faults. You go to him and you repent and you lay that sin down. And then here's what the Bible says. It says that you do this. You don't dress up in a suit. You don't go to church every single week. You don't make yourself perfect. It says here's how you're saved. Here's how you receive salvation. That you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You confess. And it says if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That that right there is the most important and ultimate conflict you can ever settle is the conflict you have over your sin with a holy God. But because he's a holy and gracious and merciful God, he has made a way through his son Jesus for you to be restored to him. Have you ever made that life-changing, crucial decision? Have you settled that? Are you at peace with God, Because I want to tell you, when you're at peace with God, you can be at peace with anybody else. <laughs> there ain't nobody else that can scare you when you got God. There ain't nobody else that can determine your value when you have Jesus. Ain't nobody else that can do it. 